What's up, guys? Welcome to Created Office Hours. This is the part of the show where I answer your questions as someone who has worked inside YouTube and Instagram for the past eight years, and now I got no filters. No PR team to answer to, it's just you, me, and the questions that you guys are asking in our Discord, which now somehow has over 1,600 creators in it. So if you'd like to join, just go to created.club, because this week I'm answering your questions about how to stand out on Instagram in 2023, now that it's getting more competitive than ever, how to make a good how-to video, basically how to make a good educational piece of content, and what's the immediate future of YouTube now that they have a new CEO and shorts monetization is live. I actually had a chance to speak on stage with YouTube executive Tara Wolfert-Levy to ask them some of my most burning questions. So I wanna take you behind the scenes on that. Let's dive into it. All right, this question comes from Matic, who asked in our Discord, I'm gonna paraphrase because it's a pretty long question. He asked, how can I stand out on Instagram in 2023? I'm just getting started, and if anybody has any advice on what sort of content, quote, rocks on Instagram, or what people look for or are interested in, I'll be ever so grateful for any advice. Matic, this is a great question, and I think it ties into where Instagram is heading this year, and, and, and not enough people are paying attention. So first things first, Reels is obviously the short answer to how to get ahead on Instagram, how to grow. So I want to provide a more detailed answer there that people are missing and then give you a look at where Instagram is heading in the next few months. When it comes to reels, the biggest thing to look out for is trending audio. It's no surprise that Instagram is really trying to compete with, with TikTok on cultural relevancy, as well as YouTube. You know, all three of them are, are jockeying for that position. But where Instagram is trying to make its bet is that things will trend and audio will trend that won't trend on other platforms. And so the way that you need to use this as a creator for your individual post is when you're scrolling through Reels, look at the audio on the bottom left corner. Most audio will have just a musical note icon by it. Ignore those. Do not make content using that audio. Instead, look for the audio that has an upward arrow. You know, does it say that it's trending? If it does, that's a good train to hop on. And then going a step further, click on that audio and make sure that when you're looking at it, the number of reels associated with that audio are around 10 to 20,000. That means it's not saturated yet. If you find an trending piece of audio, you click on it and it has 200,000 reels. That means it's saturated. That means it's probably towards the end of its life cycle as a trend and you're not gonna be able to stand out as much. So take a look at trending audio. Make sure that it, when you click it, it has less than 20,000 reels associated to it. 10,000 is even better. And try to make a piece of content using that music. I think you'll see outsized results as a, obviously don't force that. You don't wanna shove music into a piece of content that it's not gonna work. And if you have an idea that is agnostic to audio, that's okay. But this is one way that you could really stick out. The second thing I wanted to say is, I think we need to start thinking about DMs on the same level as Reels, Feed, and Stories when it comes to Instagram. And here's why I say that. In the past week or so, Adam Mosseri, CEO of Instagram, said that they're launching Instagram broadcast and it's currently live for testing. And what that means is Instagram broadcast is basically a feature that's a one-to-many DM. 
It's like a Telegram or a Discord announcement channel, if you're familiar with those. But basically what it allows is for creators to have conversations with a bunch of people in their audience at scale. And the audience can't send a DM back when the creator DMs them in this broadcast channel. They can mostly reply with emojis, you know, a heart emoji, a thumbs up emoji. If the, if the creator asks a poll question, they could respond with, you know, uh, answers to that question. Again, it's one to many. You can't send a message back. Otherwise, it gets so noisy and 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 it gets so cumbersome. But this broadcast feature, I think, shows a few things. One, if you're not actively using DMs like you are stories, you're falling behind on where Instagram is headed. Because I think this Instagram broadcast feature that they're testing right now shows that they're actually leaning into one of their strengths as opposed to what they did with Reels, which is realizing something's taking off off platform and we need to adopt this into the format of videos that exist on Instagram, which is you know Reels. And one way I think you could do this, just to make this super tactical, if you look at my Instagram, if you follow me at Yushai, I'll often post stories or ask questions that lead to DMs. A great example of this was my last video that I put up on YouTube. I asked people for thumbnail advice on Instagram. I asked, hey, here are four titles I'm thinking about. Which one do you like best? Here are two thumbnails I'm thinking about. Which one do you like best? The amount of DMs I got from that and the conversations that came about was astounding. And I think it's really how you build community because those people who get invested in your creative process through the DMs are more likely to share the output because they had their fingerprints on, they helped out. And, and we got to a better end result of our thumbnail and title because of them, truly. But you know, it was, I won't lie, it was exhausting trying to respond to every single DM, to every single comment. And also I would trade voice notes with people. I, I wanted to acknowledge that I was hearing their DMs. And what makes me excited about this broadcast feature is that it's again, one to many. I could have this conversation in a channel that feels more comfortable to people because let's be honest, public production of social media is going down on Instagram. Feed production, stories, DMs are where people feel more comfortable. So I think it's smart that they're moving in this direction. You could also say the old adage is true. Like whenever there's a communication channel, marketers will find a way to ruin it. Um, I think is how it goes. You know, you think about like text messaging a few years ago and you had apps like Superphone and Community like saying, hey, like text message your audience and all of a sudden that led to this proliferation of a ton of like annoying text messages. I don't know if that will happen with DMs here because I think there, there's a certain affinity that people have for creators that hopefully translate through DMs, but it is a sign of where Instagram is headed and social media in general. So if you're not paying attention to using DMs to grow and to build your community, you're missing missing out on where Instagram is headed. So that in addition to trending audios for reels would be my big answer. And then I had a lot of people along the same lines talking about Instagram, not as many people talking about Facebook and Meta, let's be honest, but people when they ask about Instagram this past week have also asked about Meta Verified. What's the deal with that? And specifically, there's one caveat around Meta Verified that people seem to be really angry about. And I mentioned uh, to me in my DMs in our Discord, which is the fact that Meta Verified, which let me back up and provide the context here, Meta Verified is a new monthly paid subscription for Instagram where you will pay $14.99 per month on iOS or Android, or if you're buying it on web, it's about $11.99. But most likely you're buying it on mobile, and this comes out to $180 per year. And what do you get in return? Well, one, you get better protection from impersonation. Meta will also give you access to priority customer support. You'll, of course, get the blue check mark, um, and you'll get exclusive stickers, a bunch of other product updates. But the big thing that gets dicey is that they also said you'll get improved reach. That means that if you buy into this monthly program, Meta Verified, 
your posts are going to start getting more reach. And, and I want to just put this, just put a pin in this for one moment and have Adam Masseri comment on why they're doing this. Because to me, that's the most problematic thing about this verification program. And they're only testing it in New Zealand and Australia before they come to the United States and bigger markets. So I wouldn't, I would say Instagram has been known to listen, to change. You know, if you think about a lot of the tests that they've done in the past, like people don't give them enough credit for changing their mind and listening to the feedback because they do do a good job of that when push comes to shove. But if this expands beyond New Zealand and Australia, I, I have some serious worries as a former employee and now a creator, but, but let me just allow Adam to put it in his own words, Adam Masseri, CEO of Instagram, in his recent AMA. So let me play this clip. Test. I think adding reach as part of the meta-verified bundle might be compelling just as the smallest of creators. It's not going to be a meaningful amount of incremental reach if you're a large creator. And so we're just testing to see if it is compelling to, this, to small creators because we want to help small creators get a leg up. We want to help small creators get a leg up. Could it be compelling this meta-verified $180 a year bundle, which includes a blue check mark, product support, and improved reach to smaller creators? Here's my issue with that, Adam. I think that smaller creators are the least likely to pay $180 because that money means the most to them. If I'm a small creator and I'm thinking about $180 per year, should I buy a new light? Maybe buy a better camera? Do whatever I can to make my content better or maybe you're not even thinking about Instagram that seriously to invest $180 a year on it. And so you may not get this meta-verified um, uh, package. And what happens is, is my biggest worry is that it'll, it'll limit those accidental viral moments that lead to homegrown creators. How many times have we heard creators say, I was uploading this, this took off, this video took off, and I was like, wait a minute, I think I should do more of this. Wait a minute, I, I think there's something here, I should try it. And that is that spark, that magic moment that I worry that if you're going to charge for improved reach, if you're going to basically pay to play, which Instagram has kind of um, struggled with a lot of the rumors that I, Adam did a good job of addressing that, hey, you, we're like paying for sponsored posts. Like it's not in our best business interest to, to do that. We want to bump up the best stuff so people see it. But this to me, unless they explain it more clearly, could be problematic because it could mean that your homegrown creators, you're going to exclude an entire class of them who won't think to pay for this or won't value it enough. Or if they value enough to pay for it, it may take money from other parts of their creator production. And I think that if we're being honest, like Instagram's homegrown talent, all, like, like it needs help. If you think about who, when you think about platforms, you can clearly think about who are YouTubers, right? Mr. Beast, Mark Rober, PewDiePie. You can even think about multiple generations of YouTubers. If you think about who are TikTokers, Charlie D'Amelio, Dixie D'Amelio, Kabi Lam, like, like these people come to mind. If I said, hey, who are the Instagrammers that you follow? You probably are thinking about traditional celebrities, right? Messi, Will Smith, Kevin Hart, Kim Kardashian. How many of these people grew on Instagram from day one? Right? I'm not saying that's not the case. On Instagram, you have a wonderful community of VFX artists, um, Karen X, who's now doing stuff in AI, Leah Motion, Kevin Perry. Like, there's a lot of amazing creators. Cash Bunny, who started out you know, just building an amazing community on Instagram. I'm not saying that homegrown creators don't exist, but I think they exist less on Instagram. And now this Meta Verified is going to make it even harder if it indeed goes beyond Australia and New Zealand. So just my two cents. 
I hope they change it and I hope there's something I'm missing here. But as it stands now, I don't think it's a bad thing to have a meta verified bundle and offer increased products. So, I mean, it's, it, we're seeing this trend happen. Snap. Chat Plus was the first one to do this at $3.99 per month. Then we had Twitter Blue at $11 per month and $8 on web where you could you know, edit your tweets, undo your tweets, you get the blue badge. But I think bringing in improved reach is something that it's just separation church and state. And if you're gonna charge people for something and build up better customer support and impersonation, that's okay because those are prosumer tools. But improved reach I think should be open to everyone and every piece of content that does not violate community guidelines or company policy. So anyways, just my thought on that, but great question. And hopefully that's helpful, Maddox, and to anybody who's trying to grow on Instagram today. All right, next question comes from Stay and Rach. They asked in our Discord a series of questions related to YouTube shorts monetization. Actually, a lot of people had similar questions. They asked about what percent retention should we target for, any insights on how to optimize shorts to keep people watching, frequency, a lot of things in there. So I just wanna take you behind the scenes. And also, I had a chance to speak with YouTube on stage a few weeks ago at this big advertising conference ahead of the shorts monetization launch. And I wanna share some insights from there as well. So first off, what percent retention should we target, they ask, in order for the algorithm to push out our shorts? Short answer, no pun intended, is 80 to 85%. And where did I get that data from? Well, again, it's a small sample size. I was just looking at my own YouTube studio analytics and I tried to take a look at what was the difference between the shorts that got over 10 million views, including two that have now crossed 30 million, and with the shorts that totally bomb, of which I've had my fair share. Like I'm not trying to sugarcoat it here. Not everything has taken off. And what I saw was two things. One, that the ones that took off had between 80 to 85% retention. One of them was a total anomaly and had above 90%. And duration matters. They all had around 20 to 30 seconds in terms of duration. So what does that mean? I think, again, this is just my perspective sharing my data, is that people are more likely to loop, to rewatch a 30 second video twice and watch a 60 second video once, right? And I think it's much harder to keep a hook and keep people around for that time period. So if I had to give a thought, I'd say that's the percentage retention to target and that is the duration to target. But, but if I'm being honest, I don't really think about that number when I'm making the piece of content. I'm not like there just like writing it or thinking about the format. I'm like, oh, I gotta hit 85% retention. It's just kind of something I look at after the fact. And num the number one thing I note is like, if I see any dips, did I veer off the path of what this piece of content was? Because you can't have too many narratives in a short. You need to keep it simple and keep delivering on that until the short is over. So next question is, any insights on how to optimize shorts in order to keep people watching? Yes. This is what I spoke on stage at, at, at length with YouTube about, which is the first frame rule. And actually what was really cool is after my talk, um, I got quoted in YouTube's official blog as I was making three predictions about the creator economy. So if you wanna read that, you could also see what I talked about with the first frame rule. I also talked about this in my most recent YouTube video, but what is it? Essentially, you have to think about the first frame of your short as obsessively as you think about your thumbnail for long form. And you have to make sure that, that first frame, literally the first thing that viewers see when they come to your video, um, sets up expectation and tension for the entire short that's about to come. What's an example of this? My creator versus celebrity video that I know I talk about a lot, but I think it just brings things to light in, in a very visual way. And if you look at the first frame of that video, what I'm doing is I'm asking people, who are these two people? And I've literally printed out a poster from FedEx. And one of 
picture on the side is a creator like Mr. Beast and one picture next to him is of Tom Cruise, of a celebrity. And to get to that first frame took a lot of iteration and mistakes. Well, I started off with a version of, uh, of like, hey guys, we're here in Hollywood and we're asking people if they know more creators and celebrities. First up is, is Mr. Beast versus Tom Cruise. And I would verbally just start asking it, like no physical printout at all. And then eventually I got to the more simple version of the first frame, which is who are these two people? And boom, I'm literally holding it in the first frame. And I think the more physically you can set up your first frame, the more you're gonna keep people watching because you set it up as the ultimate hook. And if you want more examples of this, um, check out my recent upload on YouTube. Ex-YouTube employee explains seven hacks, seven algorithm hacks. Um, next question they asked in this kind of rapid fire shorts uh, question is, if a short is underperforming, does it make sense to delete it, slightly tweak it and re-upload at a later time? For the most part, no, no. And, and here's more data, again, just from my sample size uh, to provide some, some insight or another perspective. My m best performing short, which now has 35 million views, was not performing that way until day 26, 27. And I think it's because, especially if you're a new channel, it takes a while for YouTube to really understand what this piece of content is, who it should be served out to. Shorts, again, is still a relatively new product um, compared to all the other mature products that YouTube has had, especially long form. So I'd say give it time, at least 28 days, see how it's performing. And if you're gonna slightly tweak it at all, just try to slightly tweak the first frame as we were talking about um, and then re-upload it. But I, 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 you know, for me, shorts are kind of like one and done. I do it and I try to learn and I try to make something better next time, not make the thing that I already uploaded better. So great question. And just one other thing I wanted to share on this note, because I see all the chatter on Twitter, which is kind of like, oh my God, like YouTube shorts payouts aren't as high as I thought it was. Like, like people just seem to be unrealistically disappointed in month one of shorts monetization. And, and, and what was really interesting about me speaking on stage with YouTube at this advertising conference, even though I, I, I'm much more on the creator side, is that shorts and shorts monetization aren't just a new product for us as creators. It's a new product for advertisers too. And I know a lot of us just, if we're in the partner program, like we take for granted that just money shows up and appears in our dashboard and in our bank account um, every month. But there are armies of salespeople at YouTube going out and selling ads ahead of your video. And what is new and what they have to do now is go out and, and educate their buyers, their, 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 their companies that they work with, the Fortune 500 company to buy ads in shorts. And so that's gonna take some time, just like it did to convince people to take money away from traditional media and buy pre-roll ads on YouTube way back in the day. And then mid-roll came and then post-roll came. All these things require adoption from advertisers before we see the net result of it as creators. But if I had to place a bet, shorts payouts are gonna go up, are gonna go up. And the bridge between shorts and long form, I know a few creators ask questions about this, especially Jenny Hoyos, I wanna give you a shout out. You asked a great question about what's the relationship between shorts and long form in terms of discovery. I think that bridge is gonna to continue to be built out because just like live and community posts exist on your YouTube channel, um, it just makes business sense for YouTube to want shorts and long form, everything exists on one channel that a creator manages. So just something to think about as we think about shorts in the immediate future. All right, the next question that came in was, what are my thoughts about YouTube's new CEO? If you guys didn't hear the news, Susan Wojcicki, YouTube's current CEO, stepped down, and Neil Mohan, who is currently head of product, is stepping into the role of CEO. And actually, Sydney Bradley, who's a great reporter for Business Insider, interviewed me about this for a piece that a lot of other ex-employees from YouTube gave their thoughts, creators, just a great, well-rounded piece. But I wanna share my thoughts and go even deeper here as someone who's overlapped with both Susan and Neil 
at YouTube. So first off, let's, let's talk about the immediate future. Let me, let me answer your questions about what, what does this mean for us as creators? And, and is this a good move? Did, did we luck out with Neil becoming CEO? Or is this gonna be the, the beginning of the end, quote unquote, that I'm seeing from a lot of folks? I think this is a good move. This is a good move. And I'm not, not only gonna say it's good, I think it's just the most logical step that YouTube could have taken. Because if you're leading in your category, in your industry, the best strategy is to stay the course, right? And what's the best way to stay the course? If you're a company that by and large, I think has the most satisfied creators, has made the most money for creators, that's a fact, $50 billion in the past three years, the best thing you could do is hire from within, right? Bring somebody up that has been in the trenches with Susan, that knows, knows the internal politics, all this stuff. And that person is Neil, right? Not only because YouTube is a product-centric company, you look at Sundar becoming CEO of Google, he was on the product side on Chrome. And if you just look across the C-suite, you know, you had the head of business, Robert Kinsel, who left not too long ago, so you couldn't really promote him, he's no longer there. And again, you think about where does YouTube have to head in the next few years, right? There's gonna have to be a lot of product innovation with AI, with, with deep fakes. You know, the, I, I, I predict there's gonna be a version of Content ID you know, this tool that YouTube currently has that identifies audio in your video or, or video that's, that's, that's of somebody else's copyright. I think there's gonna be a version of that with deep fake technology that somebody on the product side has to lead. So Neil is that person. We could have, as creators, done so much worse if YouTube had said, you know what, let's shake it up. We're, at, we're ahead, but who cares? <laughs> let's bring in somebody from a traditional media company who doesn't know anything about creators. And then imagine the headache of... I'm not gonna say the headache, how much harder it would have been to have somebody come in from the outside, try to learn about creators, which is a complicated ecosystem of its own, then try to learn about internal politics and internal teams at YouTube, which is a complicated ecosystem of its own. Let me tell you, having worked there, you know, these companies that get mature, there's systems, processes in place as there should be. And an executive has to come in and learn that it's gonna take a lot of time. Neil already knows that stuff. So I think as creators, we lucked out because I think this is going to be a continuation and an execution of a lot of the strategies that Susan put in place. Obviously, Neil's going to make his mark, but I'm glad that it's somebody who has been there and has helped usher in a lot of the success that YouTube has had. Now, I'm seeing a lot of your tweets on Twitter. I see this one that has 12.3 million views from one Rad Chi who said, quote, folks, the new boss of YouTube is literally the guy who came up with the idea of NFT integration. He's an all-around crypto metaverse Web3 shill, end quote. He said, oh, sorry, no, 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 I didn't, I end the quote premature. He said, quote, he said, YouTube is going to get so much worse, end quote. Okay, one rad chi, calm down, <laughs> calm down. Let's rewind to 2021, 2022, the height of the NFT boom, when what you're talking about came to fruition. Essentially, one rad chi is referring to when Neil basically started talking about NFT integration as another way for creators to make money. But if you're the head of product and NFTs are becoming a more widespread adoption, people are making a lot of money from it, creators included, and I know there's a lot of form of that, of the cash grab scams, but creators did make money. They built communities and, and it was the beginning of something interesting. How are you not gonna at least try to experiment and see what you could do for creators by adopting NFT technology, right? I think the opposite, if they didn't try, would have been worse. That's like saying to a head of product, hey, hey, you're doing great. Don't, don't, this AI thing, you, you, don't, don't worry about it right now. Don't worry about it right now. Th th you can't do that. It's new technology. You're the head of product. You're going to have to think about how to integrate it. That doesn't make him a Web3 shill. So I think people are just like blowing that out of proportion. So I look forward to what the next few months hold as Neil takes over. I think it's the best outcome we could have hoped for as creators. 
And I want to just provide one last thought when it comes to Susan's time as CEO, because I think she gets a lot of credit, but still does not get enough. And if I had to say something, you're probably going to think I'm crazy, but just, just what I saw from her internal, I think she was the most inclusive yet decisive leaders I've ever had a chance to work for. And I think she deserves to, you know, at least for what she did in the tech media space, she deserves the same credit that, that Steve Jobs has been given for what he did for tech hardware. And the only reason why you might think I'm crazy for even putting those two people in the same conversation, which I, which I hope you don't, I really believe they, they deserve to be in the same conversation, is because that maybe she didn't have the flashiest presentations all the time. But that shouldn't matter. The numbers should speak for themselves. Again, $50 billion to YouTube creators in the past three years alone and a lot more money before then. Diversifying the buffet of monetization. You know what I think the mark of a great CEO is? Is what do they launch that people are wowed by that five years later they take for granted? The fact that we can upload videos and ads show up in front of them as long as we get into the partner program and we make money from it and we have an opportunity to make a bunch of other money with brand deals, merch, all this stuff is something we take for granted. But believe me, it is a magical thing. And yes, we should always fight for higher payouts. We're seeing that with shorts and all that. But that is something that is forever going to be one of the flags that Susan has planted in the tech media space that people are going to build off of on. And so, Susan, I just want to say thank you. I'm talking to her like she's listening to this. Like, like, just Susan, I'm just putting out as either thank you. I feel very grateful that you just were the CEO that I got to work for when I started my career. Okay, our next question comes from Molly Kaiser, who asks, are how-to videos really dead? I've been told not to do how-to videos and also try to rank for the YouTube homepage instead of SEO. Curious how other creators feel about this advice. Here's my channel for reference. And then she left her YouTube channel. And I see a lot of wonderful responses in our Discord. Uh, and Molly, I had a chance to look at your video and I actually think this question is really applicable to creators in any niche. Whether you're doing how-to content for cooking or baking or DIY or myself, I do how-to content for the creator economy when it comes down to it. And so I wanted to answer your question as well as people who are thinking about this and making this type of content. Number one, how-to content is not dead. It's not. The bar for it is just higher than ever. And I think how-to content today in 2023 to succeed, it has to be what I like to think of as guinea pig content. And I wanna explain what that means. But first off, a few data points. Number one, the world's second biggest search engine after Google is YouTube. And if you look at Google, they're integrating more and more search results that are video from YouTube. So I actually think that how to kind is one of the best ways to grow a new channel, especially when you don't have an initial audience. The best way to find that audience is through search. People are looking for something. If you have a good answer that match is made, they'll hopefully subscribe and stick around for your other stuff. It's a good tried and true formula. Now, obviously YouTube has gotten way more competitive. The bar is higher. And so I see a lot of different how to videos on your channel, Molly. And I think about, could you have saved your ammo to have one great how-to video instead of a bunch of different ones that maybe don't hit as hard. And the second thing I like to think about when I say guinea pig content, what I mean by that is this. I think the days of summarizing tips, they're not over, but they're dwindling in terms of here's what this person did, here's what that person did, like almost summarizing case studies to do how-tos unless they're really interesting or really well told, what's more interesting is, is to see you go through it, to see you be the guinea pig, the, the, the quote unquote test subject. 
<laughs> for lack of a better word. In my recent upload, I know I've been referencing this a lot, but I just spent so much time on it and to see it performing well. I think the reasons are, or one, it's guinea pig content. I literally, before I put up this video, ex-YouTube employee explains seven ways to hack the algorithm, which are basically just seven tips to grow your YouTube channel. I tried to implement those myself. And I saw a lot of comments saying, hey, this guy tried it himself. He's talking about results. And that way I was the guinea pig for you guys, for everyone who's trying to try this. And, and that could be good or bad. You know, you could say that I tried this and it worked. And that's interesting. Or I tried this and it didn't work. Either way, the outcome saves the viewer time. You being the guinea pig. Like Molly, I took a look at your channel. I watched this video. Build passive income with online courses. And in parentheses, you wrote $23,418 per month. First off, I had no idea. Did you make that? somebody else make that? It wasn't clear. I think a stronger headline would have been, I made 23,000 per month by doing X, Y, Z, right? I'm like, whoa, she did that? How? Right? Immediate curiosity. So I think if you're able to do how-to content in a way that's guinea pig content, essentially, you know what it is? It's how-to content disguised as challenge content, a challenge format. Like, like you said, for the next 30 days, you're going to try doing this with online courses, and then you're going to report back to us right? I saw somebody make a wonderful video recently that it's like he tried Taco Bell for 30 days, essentially doing what Supersize Me did, Morgan Spurlock did many, many years ago uh, with trying McDonald's every day. He did it with Taco Bell. And just that journey was fascinating of him doing it. He was the guinea pig, right? In a totally different niche. And not to say that's how-to content, but we're interested in the journey. So I think about that as I think about how-to. And again, quality matters way more than quantity. Like you, you should save your ammo and make it the best you can. So just a few thoughts on the how-to genre. But anyways, that's all for this episode of Created. Again, this was an office hours segment where I answer your questions. Typically, we have interviews with top creators and celebrities. And so if you like that, you're gonna love our next episode. I can't wait to tell you who the guest is. I think you're gonna learn a lot. And if you feel like we've earned five stars, it would mean a lot if you could leave a review, especially if you're here, especially if you made it to this part of the episode and join our Discord. Again, there's a wonderful community there. I'm there throughout the week and I just pick my favorite three or four questions to deep dive on this podcast. The link again is created.club. All right, guys, I'll see you next week.